0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning Podcast with me, Dr. Samantha Cotrera. Many of you know that I started this podcast as a way to share my academic conference presentations with a wider audience. I also have a video series called Imagining a New We that's designed for K-12 teachers and helping them think about their practice and pedagogy in more meaningful, inclusive, and transformative ways. Just after the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic, I recorded a video for that series asking how we would teach history after this. I didn't have any answers. I still don't. But in asking the question, I was able to connect to a wide variety of people in the history and heritage field about whether their ideas of history have changed because of this moment, how they think teaching history will shift after this moment, and how notions of community, collaboration, and creativity, the Imagining a New We that I named the video series after, may be developed or curtailed during and after this time. All of these videos are available on YouTube. You can search for my name to find the channel, but the conversations have been so rich that I wanted to provide another way for people to access them. This podcast episode and the rest in the pandemic pedagogy series is an unedited audio version of one of those video conversations. As an unedited version, you may hear buffering or a prompt to re-ask a question or even the inclusion of a cat, but the content and quality of the conversation remains the same. In this episode, originally posted April the 8th, I talked to Dr. Andrea Eidinger of the Unwritten Histories blog. She and I talk about the, quote, truth of Canadian histories, that we've always been diverse and that everyone's story is important. She emphasizes that this is a moment to emphasize compassion and care in our teaching and urges us to think about these lessons after this moment has passed. Andrea, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's uh, it's such a pleasure to be able to talk to someone with um, so much different experience in this field, um, like someone like yourself. And so I'm really excited to hear your perspectives on like teaching in these pandemic times. So um, hi, thank you. (laughs) Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I've been asking everyone three questions. Um, one is about, like, if your current, uh, like, your current thoughts have changed. The other one is about how you might think if it all will, like, change teaching after this, history teaching. And then the third one is about imagining a new we and things about, like, imagination and this notion of, like, we, if that's going to change at all. So let's just get right into it, shall we? are <laughs> sure, so, Awesome. I, uh i have been saying that my perspective of history has changed a lot um because i you know well i guess it has like um it has confirmed the things i think about history like we need to think about emotion we need to think about connection has this moment this pandemic moment changed thinking of history for you at all and like no pressure if it doesn't um mary Chak sirius was saying like i'm just too busy to teach to think about that but has have you thought about um, have you thought about uh, teaching history or history itself differently in these days
1: um i think that there are a lot of potential avenues that we could take teaching in in terms of changes that are arising from the pandemic situation i think that there's probably going to be a lot of changes in terms of what's offered online um, and uh, there i think we there's definitely room for an interesting discussion about how we are all adapting to these particular situations, um, but I find that my particular approach hasn't really changed. Just because um, I've already spent a really long time trying to figure out how to teach in a way that made me personally feel comfortable, and um, you know, it's. It, it's designed in a way that kind of works with what's going on in 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 the world as it stands right now so i uh am technically trained as a social historian and uh that's what i love the most and as a social historian i have always and and this is a, a terrible admission but i hate political history um and whenever i was <laughs>
0: it's valid it's a valid admission i Don't love it myself.
1: (laughs) Uh, And and when I say political history, I mean like the the like formal politics, not the informal politics, uh, power dynamics. But um, uh, so I know history surveys were taught.
0: Sorry, Uh, you cut out there. Um, Actually, why Sorry, could you hear that? You cut out. Could you just start uh, saying about the like? Just say the formal politics, informal politics, and then go from there again. The sound cut out.
1: Um, In terms of political history, it's the formal politics, like the policy, legislation, all that kind of stuff, that's not as interesting, uh, as opposed to power dynamics. But um, what um, I like to do is focus very much on the kind of history that I would have liked. So when I took the survey classes as an undergrad and in high school, I slept through them. Uh, I thought that they were really boring because they were essentially the history of dead white men. Uh, which I now facetiously call dead white dudes. And it, it just i I wasn't I didn't find that I was able to connect with it on an emotional level or it, basically any kind of interest at all. Um, but as I got higher in terms of my education, I was able to do more of the kind of history that interested me, which was the history of of ordinary people. So when I became a professor, um, you know most of us start out teaching the surveys, and that's what I've taught the most. Um, I went into it with the intention of creating the Canadian history survey in a way that I would have liked it to look. So um, rather than doing it in a very traditional style, I was going to do it in a style that, that, that I found interesting and that meshed well with my training. So I focus very much on the social history of people and this idea that all people's stories have equal value and that we need to understand many different aspects of the past as opposed to just focusing on this one straight narrative that we're always encountering. So, uh, I mean, I've talked about pandemics in, in previous classes because I think that um, it's it, we do a disservice if we talk about World War I and we don't really talk about um, the, the Spanish flu pandemic. So, um, I, I that has sort of this focus on social history, this focus on the experiences of individuals, this idea that people in the past are a lot like people today, they have hopes, dreams, fears, um, has, has stuck with me and I think is very appropriate for this particular um, time that we're going through because I, I see a lot uh, on social media and on the media that, you know, we're all in this together and there are a lot of stories about sort of individuals and those are the things that, that I find the most compelling. So um, my perspective hasn't really changed so much as it's it's just confirmed that I'm comfortable doing the kind of history that I'm doing. And I think that it's appropriate to equip my students with the tools that they need to understand what's going on.
0: Yeah, I I love that. I think that this notion of a social history as a way for us to really think through this moment allows us to kind of be grounded in this moment because we all are social actors And we can think about the, the, the social and the cultural part of right now, um, because the political part is all like that, I think is the thing that we, we learn in hindsight more when we see like this cohesive political plan or, or just like what, what became something like a cohesive political plan. But I think that like really, um demonstrating or like uh, appreciating a commitment to social history helps us think through this. Do you think that this will shift our teaching of history after this? Do you think maybe more people will be be bringing up social history or do you think that this will shift teaching after this history teaching?
1: I hope it does. Mm. I don't know if it will but I hope that it is sort of a wake-up call about the extent to which inequalities in our society are embedded in the very fabric of everyday life and and can be you know the difference between life and death for a lot of people and i think that that those kinds of dynamics those kinds of experiences are central to history so i would like to see that happen um i don't know because Canadian history, a history in general is a field that I think evolves very slowly. Um, And I don't know if we'll really see um, any significant changes for quite some time. Um, I do hope that one of the things that we really do focus on is having a much more compassionate and kind approach to teaching. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about how we need to, you know, account for the fact that students are going through a lot right now. They're dealing with um, people, uh, family members being sick, friends being sick, maybe they're sick, having to deal with um, having uh, lost jobs and you know, self-isolation. Self-isolation is, is, can be very difficult. So the, the goal for many professors right now is to focus on providing students with the support that they need to get through this the rest of the semester, um, but in a way that, it, that is kind and, and understanding of how students are really struggling and I hope that that emphasis on kindness and compassion is something that follows through. Um, you know, I something that I decided to do uh, last year, which has worked really well, is actually getting rid of due dates completely. Uh, and no, that has not resulted in me getting a whole wave of stuff at the end of the semester. Um, but I, I recognize that students have, um,
0: uh, just start again by saying uh, I recognize.
1: I, I recognize that students have a lot on their plates, even under normal circumstances, and that school might not necessarily be their top priority, and that they have to shuffle home responsibilities and work responsibilities along with um, school. So I try to be as flexible as possible and and accommodate that. So I I provide them with suggested due dates, but this way I don't have to or I give students the ability to feel free to submit later if they feel that they would produce a better paper, as opposed to sitting and worrying about sort of arbitrary dates. Um, because like I said, life is complicated. School is not you know, the be all and end all as much as we might like it to be. And I think that the end result is that students learn a lot more when they're given that kind of space to just be. And, and that kind of accommodation. So I, I would like to see maybe not everybody get rid of due dates, because um, I know that's not what everybody would love to do, but just to be be kinder.
0: I, um, I think that's really interesting. And I know that you're talking from the perspective of somebody that is like a history professor, right? That's te- somebody that's teaching in an undergrad setting. And I'm thinking about K to 12 teachers and how much in like their Bachelor of Education, for example, Um, They're introduced to so many different types of assessment methods. And I know, I know a lot of them are are introduced to like having students make a choice um, about the type of assessments that they do. And I think that like to bring some of the things that you were saying to a to K-12 audience, I think that like, this is a good opportunity, well, for for professors as well, to explore different assessments and to be able to explore with their students. And and like, to just be honest, like we're all trying to figure this out and like, what does this mean? Because we all know that when something ends, it never really ends. And so we're gonna be dealing with this afterwards. So this idea about kindness and compassion and also inequity, which I think, you know, we, those those things work work so importantly together, right? To have kindness and compassion for the fact that people don't have experiences like you and that you might not even recognize them. Um, I think is really interesting. So thank you for bringing that in. Um, what I'll do is I'll provide a link below uh, for teachers and, and anyone else watching this video about different history assessment methods, if that's helpful to be able to think about more creative ways to, um, to teach and learn, right? Not just to ensure that people get the content.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes right. Oh, that's weird. I I think my computer just does not like me. Um, <laughs> I think that when it comes to, or, you know, the reality is, is that five years from now, none of my students are going to know my name. They're not going to remember what course that they took. But if they can come out of the courses that I give them with the ability to think critically and compassionately and to have that sort of flexibility, then then I'm happy with that. And that's not so much about, you know, meeting particular um targets and, and deliverables and due dates, so much as just the learning experience. And I think that that's something that's really gotten lost over the past few years. Um, you know, it's less of a focus on just learning and growing and seeing education at all levels as an opportunity to do that. Um, and there's been less of a focus on that and more of a focus on sort of standardized testing and getting good grades. Like my students are so anxious about the grades that they get. And I, I keep telling them like, yes, they're important, but in When you're finished school, no one's gonna care if you got an A or a C. They just wanna know that you went through the experience and you have the skills that you need uh, or that you would get from completing an undergraduate education. So um, I would like to see, or it would be great if more people would be focusing on that and less in terms of, you know, like, can my student, you know, properly format a footnote, which of course I hope that they can.
0: well i love this notion about thinking about history critically and compassionately because to me that really brings up this brings up like the emotion and the affect of both the past but also the present and to learn meaningfully about the past to learn the history meaningfully involves uh, compassion involves that emotion as well as this this notion of Critically exploring how and what we remember. So thank mm-hmm. you, thank you for that. Yeah, I, I really, I really like that. Compassionately and critically. Um, speaking of like compassion and criticalness, although <laughs> that word never translates over that well. But like
1: Criticali- criticality,
0: criticality. Yeah, yeah. I can't even say it, but that's <laughs> cool. <laughs> so my work is about imagining a new we and and ensuring that like when we think about canada we are having these increasing circles of inclusion of what it means to be canadian what a canadian experience is what it means to teach and learn history um, and i've been really interested in people's responses to about whether or not that this will change a we whether this will change how we imagine um, do you have any thoughts about that Again, it's okay. It it actually cuts out at like right after you say just one thing, so it will be very easy to edit. Don't worry.
1: Perfectly, uh, perfect. <laughs> okay, um, I I have I have hopes. So um, the way that you're sort of talking about how you teach in terms of uh, questioning this idea about what it means to be Canadian, I mean that's something that I I really do. Uh, as well in fact the first lecture of every canadian history course i give is what does it mean to be canadian and and who counts and how the histories that we tell ourselves that we learn in school are very much uh, an important part of shaping what it means to be canadian and for a really long time that story was very much focused on the history of white men almost exclusively and it created this perception or was paired with this perception that a Canadian person is a white person and everybody mm. else yeah. kind of something else is Canadian and something else. And, you know, personally speaking as myself, um, I'm, I'm Jewish and a Jewish girl growing up in Montreal, I didn't really see myself, my history reflected in what I learned in school. So, um, when I am trying to teach Canadian history, my goal is to teach the, the truth of our history, which is that Canada has always been diverse, um, both in terms of Canada as the entity that we know today, but also the the space that we call Canada prior to the arrival of Europeans has always been a place of many different people, many different cultures, languages, um, and, you know, sometimes we get along, sometimes we don't get along, but we're, we're all complicated, but we're all enmeshed together in this kind of web that makes up this country, but that also connects us to the past, the present and the future. So when I'm teaching Canadian history, this is this is what I like to focus on is that that the stories that we tell ourselves about the past matter, they shape who we see ourselves as and how we relate to the rest of the world. And also that the future of our country is in our hands, and we can shape it however we want to shape it and we can look to the past to learn you know what what happened did it work did it not work but we can change what happened um and make a better future if that doesn't sound too corny
0: oh it sounds like 100 percent corny but but in like a really good way <laughs> like in a really inspiring way because i think that's what we all kind of want from our teaching and learning history but um but it it seems like sometimes we can get into these like these rote models of just teaching those old white dudes um, and forgetting the fact that we can keep writing and rewriting these stories. I, I, when I talk about history and I talk about this in the book and I haven't done a video on it yet, but I say like, I think that we should think more history of more as a magnetic poetry kit <laughs> than, like that. Uh, than uh, like a book because with a magnetic poetry kit like we still have all of the words and the ideas but we can rework them to 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 identify particular um ideas that we want to explore and and so i think that you leaving on this corny note provides a lot of like hope for what a critical and compassionate history might look like so thank you for for sharing that with us today
1: (laughs) oh um, my pleasure i think that you know, when we're going through stuff or times like this, hope is really important.
0: Yeah, and that's come up in the other videos as well, um, and uh, and like this notion of connection. And so it's been great to be able to do these to connect to connect together. So thank you so much for making the time to to talk and for connecting and and sharing this sense of hope with us.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah.
0: You're welcome. See you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pandemic Pedagogy series of the Meaningful Learning with Dr. Samantha Cotrera podcast. My first book, Transforming the Canadian History Classroom, Imagining a New We, will be available in the latter half of 2020. Order on Amazon or through your local bookseller today.